Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guests today are Ryan and Sophie. But before we get to them, here's a few announcements for you. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. You can see photos of our guests. You can see links to their sites and their social media. You can see stories that I've written. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see links to our social media, which is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. I'm on Facebook as Mike Siegel. There are links to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. We're on iHeartRadio and Spotify, basically wherever you get your podcasts. So I will ask, as always, if you are listening to me on any of those platforms, please give us a good rating. Say a few nice things. Costs you nothing, and it boosts our presence there, so that helps more people find the show and that's a cool thing for you to do if you could do it i would appreciate it if you think you'd be right for the show maybe you know somebody who'd be right for the show or you want to write me and say kind things tell me how much you love the show how much you love me maybe you got some travel questions you want to ask me or something like that any of that stuff you can write me at traveltalespodcast at gmail.com that's traveltalespodcast at gmail.com Okay, this episode, if you uh, are a regular listener to the show, you know that this is coming out a little bit late, and I apologize for that. I was back in Alaska on a cruise for two weeks, did not have my recording equipment with me, and fell behind. But hey, it was August, it's the summer, vacation time. Don't most people get a break around that time? Actually, I apologize. I never really uh, missed a week before without putting something up, but this time it just kind of snuck up on me, along with some cancellations from some guests and blah, 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 but I have no real excuse for it other than that uh, I didn't get it out and I apologize. But the good news is my trip to Alaska working on the cruise was a success. A success in the fact the shows went well, but also that I didn't get COVID. I didn't get norovirus. I didn't have a detached retina. All the things that have gone wrong with me on cruises this year didn't happen. So that's a good thing. Did a lot of great hiking up there, which is my favorite thing to do when I'm on those cruises. So it all went well. I was on Holland America and on September 11th through the 17th, I will be on the Ruby Prince. After that, the plan is to go to Europe. And man, I can't wait. Portugal is on the list and maybe one other country as well. Hopefully one other country, at least one other country. Still working out the plans. A lot of it's coming down to flights, which are still a little expensive, but I'll get there. More on that coming up. But speaking about cruising and being on the water, it's a nice segue into our guests, Ryan and Sophie. They are a couple who have found some success on YouTube. He's American. She's French. They met in Sweden and decided to live aboard a sailboat. And I've always said traveling is quite a test for any relationship, but you throw on living on a sailboat on top of that, that's a lot of stress. A lot of amazing tales, but also a lot of stress. So they've been doing the sailing thing for a number of years now, and Ryan and Sophie have a YouTube channel that's pretty successful. It's called Ryan and Sophie Sailing. We have a link to it on Travel Tales Podcast. Follow them there. Subscribe. They do a great job with the videos. They travel all around Europe and the Caribbean. It just so happens when I talked to them, they were not on the boat. They were on land. And they weren't even together at the moment. They're back uh, taking care of various 
things that they have to do. They're taking a break from the boat right now. Ryan was back in Iowa with his family. Sophie was in Belgium working on visa issues, but through the miracle of the internet and technology, I got to talk to them both. I will say I was using a different program that I usually use. It wasn't Zoom. I'm not going to say which one it was, but it did work. But at some points, I'm warning you now, there was a little crackling and a little interference. But hey, it's still a miracle that we could talk at all and get this done. Anyway, if you want to follow their adventures, go to Ryan and Sophie Sailing on YouTube. Tons of videos there to check out. And what I like about their channel is that they make a point of not just sugarcoating everything and showing the best of everything like a highlight reel to make the impression that it's all a big bunch of laughs out there. They give it to you warts and all. The mechanical problems, the breakdowns, not just the boat breaking down, but themselves. We talk about mental health a bit and depression, the kind of things that people in this industry don't like to talk about because it ruins the illusion of their amazing lives on social media and whatever. So I like the fact that they want to tell the truth. I think it's a refreshing thing in this travel industry, but it was a pleasure meeting them and I certainly enjoyed my time talking to them. I hope you enjoyed listening. Here's my conversation with Ryan and Sophie. Okay, why are you not sailing? Give me the story. Why we are not sailing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's I assumed easy... I would be talking to you on a boat. <laughs> that's, okay. so that's, that's a very easy one. Uh, so Ryan and I live on our boat most of the time, but living on a boat is a lot of work. It's very tiring and it is very difficult to do that 100% of the time. So now and then, our and that's our best tip that we give to anyone who wants to start living this lifestyle, you need a break. You need to give yourself a little bit of a break and go on land. <laughs> Um, but really what's going on right now for us is that we are at the very last stage of my green card application. And we're also in the middle of hurricane season. Uh, so Ryan had to move the boat to the United States where I'm not allowed yet. So he took the boat there, uh, took the little boat break and went to Iowa where he's from. And in the meantime, I went back to Europe uh, where I am from and we're having a bit of a, of a vacation. Ah, so obviously you're not uh, you're not married yet, or you would have the green card. No, we are, and I'm not putting any pressure. No, it's on it's, it's totally fine. So we apply <laughs> for a family reunification green card. So yes, we are in that category of people that is um, prioritized, and I'll say prioritized, ah. quote unquote. Um, but from application to interview, it's taken a year and a half, which is a very long time with a lot of wait, uh, and even a a lawsuit to the government. Uh, that's oh, the boy. crispy. That's oh. the crispy detail. But uh, no, we're very we we're very excited to be at the end of it. Yeah, Ryan, you're in Des Moines, Iowa, which couldn't be farther from the ocean. That's right. Um, yes, and as Sophie <laughs> said, I I too needed a break when I arrived. Uh, the boat is in Annapolis, Maryland, and when I arrived there, a bunch of you know people who follow our channel asked, "Hey, um, do you want to go out sailing with us?" And I was like, "No." I don't want anything to do with it. So I, I spent about a week or so getting the boat ready. And then I got on an airplane and I flew here and it's, it's good. I think sometimes you just got to step away from things that you live in for a while. Uh, and then, you know, you'll come back to it and you'll feel refreshed and recharged. And so that's kind of what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when both of you who live on a boat, get off a boat, is seafood the last thing you want to see or smell or eat? You know, okay, it's really funny that you say that because I am in Belgium because of a work-related event. So I was at the seminar of the consultancy company that I work with. And last night we had the annual party and it was at the yacht club. 
<laughs> it was, of course it was. It was at the Yacht Club. I was like, I cannot escape this. <laughs> no, uh, we, uh, we, you know what? I love seafood everywhere. It's fine. Take it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I just worked two weeks in Alaska, so the last thing I wanted to see was salmon when I got back. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Just a good steak or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, I've had nothing but Mexican food since I've been back in L.A. Yeah, there you it's go. amazing how that happens. There you go. Yeah. <clears throat> when I talk to expats, as American expats, usually when I ask them what they miss, most of all in terms of like food and other things, usually one or two on the list, oddly, is always Mexican food. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sophie and I were all, both expats in Stockholm. Uh, that's where we met when we first started out. And um, they actually had good Mexican. They had a couple of good Mexican food places in Stockholm, surprisingly. So, oh, come on. <laughs> they really? did, yes, I... some authentic Mexican. Okay. I'm telling you. <laughs> Not Taco I'm Bell. I'm spoiled living in California, though. <laughs> that's true. So tell me, well, we can get to your history and how you guys got together and how you got on the boat in a little bit. But I know... One of the reasons that uh, your your people, I guess, reached out to me, they tell me an interesting part of your story that you in dealing with depression. So there are really two aspects to this. There is, uh, you know, clinical depression and there is living with clinical, chronic depression or anxiety as you are going to live an uncon unconventional lifestyle. And then there are all the triggers that come with traveling as a lifestyle and, uh, you know, the blues of coming back, uh, the feeling of loneliness that you're going to have when you get to a new place and you know nothing and you know no one and you're tired and you're going to have those feelings of solitude and anxiety and you're not always going to have very pleasant feelings when you travel. Uh, so those exist. There, there are triggers. And so they are a reality also when you come to traveling as a lifestyle with a background of chronic depression or anxiety. And so that's what we talk about a lot and we do it because not a lot of people do. Um, there is this myth in uh, you know, the industry of a uh, travel content and voyaging as a lifestyle, being a digital nomad, or in our case, sailing the world as a lifestyle, that once you're gonna start living this life, all your problems go away. You are living a dream and your life is lived in a state of permanent bliss. And, you know, <laughs> who cares that you had anxiety once before? Uh, it will never happen but, again. Yeah. But isn't that like a, an out? I mean, it's an outcome of a lot of social media. You yes. know, the, the, they say that the more time people spend on social media, which is basically you're seeing a highlight reel, yes. an edited highlight Absolutely. reel of everybody's lives. It makes your own look plain and boring and you feel like you're not doing enough for seeing it. Absolutely. And uh, when I get into YouTube, well, first off, I came in with a genuine interest for filmmaking, but also with the conviction that I, I didn't want to be one of those people who would glamorize a lifestyle and make everybody want to do the same thing without having an actual understanding of what it can do to you, of what can happen. And that can look very different ways. It can look like those triggers that we talked about where, you know, it's not going to be pretty every day. There's going to be some emotions. You're going to feel lonely. Sometimes it's difficult. Um, you feel disconnected from the world. And there's this dissonance between being in a beautiful place that you really want to enjoy, but also feeling like shit. And sometimes it happens uh, and you feel shame about it, uh, you know? <laughs> Uh, and really, no, not a lot of people talk about it. And so we want to be open because 
if you're gonna if you're serious about living that kind of lifestyle, you will be much better equipped uh, to deal with it if you know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, Ryan, I know you uh, uh, in your bio and everything else. It was kind of depression that really kind of pushed you to travel in the first place, right? Which is kind of it's very common for travelers too. It's usually some kind of traumatic event. A lot of times, it's a death in the family, or losing a job, or or marriage, yeah, or something that that propels people to leave. Whether you had a trauma, a traumatic experience as well, right? That's right. I had um, not to get into too much detail. I had a traumatic experience with a goose. Um, that it's going to sound me. really funny. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, but what happened was I, I I really did get attacked by a goose, and when I got attacked, I ended up breaking my shoulder, falling down from said goose attack. And in the process, I mean, I had to get my shoulder rebuilt and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. I couldn't do the mountain climbing. I couldn't do the exploration, those things. And that led to a lot of depression, you know, just sitting at my desk with my arms strapped to me, wondering like, what am I going to do next? Um, And that's a pretty common thing among athletes when they go through uh, big surgeries like that. And my doctor had told me, you know, you need to be on the lookout for this. And so one day I just I was reading an article about a couple who sold everything, bought a boat to travel the world. And I, Sophie and I had just started dating and I sent her the article and she's texting me back. She's like, I would do that. And so that kind of <laughs> kickstarted the process. So yeah, I mean, in a way I never really thought of it like that, Mike, but um, yeah, I mean, there was some depression around how this project got started. Um, and through that, I think Sophie and I have had our own, um, paths and our own roads that have developed with mental health around this project. Sophie, Sophie had some depression uh, that she was kind of alluding to before we even left. I found out that I had a lot of anxiety issues uh, related to not only just sailing, but other things that were happening in my past life uh, when I used to fly airplanes and things that like really kind of came to the forefront once we got out and started sailing because you're just with yourself a lot and you start like discovering things about yourself. And, and then all of a sudden you realize like, whoa, look, something's going on here and I need to address it. <laughs> it was just, yeah. it was just this thing that we did, you know, getting on a boat, going to beautiful places that took us down a path of self-discovery, I'd say. Well, I'm going to, I have to know how like a guy from Iowa and a woman from, are you, you are French or I am French. French. Okay. How do you find yourselves in Sweden and how do you meet? <laughs> well, we both had professional opportunities in Sweden. I moved there when I was 22, uh, probably even younger at the time for the first time. And I realized that as a young person who recently graduated and who was a woman, your chances to impact your career and your salary were a lot higher in Sweden than they were in France at the time, especially in the heels of the 2008 uh, economic crisis. Um, So I moved there because I thought that the lifestyle was amazing. And for you, Ryan, it was a little bit different. You were recruited by a Swedish startup to do a very specific specific job, to bring your own set of skills. Uh, And then after five years of trying and being very unsuccessful at dating the Swedes, we found each other. <laughs> we found each other on Tinder. Oh, okay. That's there right. we go. And that's how it all started. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. What was the hardest part about dating Swedes, both men and women? I've never dated a Swede. But... Okay, so I apologize for all the. <laughs> Let's stereotype and generalize. I can't wait. But this would be fun. It's uh, they're very hard to have conversation with. 
They don't talk a lot. You know how in France and in the US, we have this culture of small talk and talking to strangers oh, yeah. and, you know, loving to meet people. And small talks sometimes lead to deeper talks and sometimes that leads to <laughs> friendships. But if you don't have the small talk stage, it gets very difficult to make friends, <laughs> right. um, let alone... Just say what you mean. Let yeah. alone to meet a romantic partner. And so a lot of times, and again, sweets, I'm sorry, I love you. You know I do. <laughs> but the way that romantic relationships form is that they get really drunk at a party, they sleep together, yeah. and then maybe they'll get on a date, they'll have coffee. It's not really a date. They'll have coffee and then they'll maybe have coffee again. And then maybe they'll walk. And then sometimes <laughs> months down the line, they're like, are we in a relationship? And, <laughs> you know, as a French person, that's not really the way that we do things. Like, I am not going to sleep with you to get a date. <laughs> not happening. I'm actually starting to think I might have been Swedish the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I'm not proud of it, but there it is. <laughs> there you go. It sounds like college. Yeah, yeah, that, kind of. College it. for adults. <laughs> it just never ends. Except for yeah. except you're out of your college years. And to me, it, yeah, it, just, yeah. it just didn't work. So when I met Ryan, I was like, oh my God, you talk. That's fantastic. <laughs> so the bar the bar was already really high, you see. Yeah. So why why a boat and not just, you know, backpacking around or, or traveling by land? What, I mean, a boat is serious. That's a lot of time together. For one, and the thing that scares me most about the boat, you know, there's a famous quote of the happiest day yeah. of a man's life is buying the boat, and the other one is selling it. Yeah, we moved. Uh, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of yeah, work. Boats are a lot of work. And I think so. Why? Why boats? If we would have known then what we know now, we maybe wouldn't have jumped in as fast as we did. We, there would have been a lot of like self-reflection. <laughs> but I think that's the reason that we've also been successful at this. So you know, we just saw this article of a couple who's actually still out sailing doing it. And I, you know, we both thought it was a great idea. So we took some lessons and we eventually bought the boat and we really took it in stages. You know, first it was, we're just going to go for six months. Then it was, we're going to go for a year. Then it was, we're going to cross an ocean. And we've, you know, and we've been on the boat now for four years uh, as our home. And yeah, so it's been a journey. It's been a project. It wasn't necessarily, you know, something we intended to do for this long, uh, but what we did say was, you know, we're going to do this as long as we're having fun and as long as we have the cash to do it. So in the process of this whole like living on a boat, sailing the world thing, we we also took I mean, there's been a lot of self-discovery in it, but we also took the opportunity to leave our jobs. We started our own jobs. We started our own consultancy thing and we really started exploring ourselves. And now, you know, Sophie and I have been working on our own for the last six years um, while living on the boat. And I think all of those things have come together to just, I think what we've learned from it is that we can make the life that we want to live. And in order to do that, we just build everything else around it to support that life. And yeah, it has been very, very hard in the process. It would be much easier just to have a nine to five and, you know, home to come home to <laughs> most days. But there, how we describe it to people is that the highs are very, very high. And the lows are very, very low. And that, that's a very cyclical thing that goes on very often in life. But it's, it's really amazing. Was, was YouTube always part of the plan? Or is this something that just came out of? No. Well, no way. For my 30th birthday, my friends and family offered me a DSLR camera. And I had already, always had an interest in um, learning about photography and filmmaking. And so I really took the opportunity to explore that. 
And at the same time, I had just uh, quit my job and was very disillusioned with corporate life. I had been doing it for about 10 years at that point, and it was not, it was not it. I started to realize that if I really want to do something with my life, I need to not have that job anymore. Um, but I also started to feel bad about the idea of working, which is very unlike me. Um, both Ryan and I are fairly hard workers. So I had told myself that I would give myself a year living on my savings to work on a project that would be close to my heart. And it could be anything, writing, singing, learning an instrument. And in my case, it was filmmaking. And I also discovered that I love uh, cracking really bad jokes. And I thought that they were terrible jokes. I still think <laughs> they are terrible jokes. But then people started to laugh with me. And I was like, damn, we're on to something here. <laughs> and so YouTube became this thing where, you know, it is the biggest marketing channel for our friendship. This is how we meet people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. How are you about... Um... Like how many videos say a month do you put? Is it weekly? Uh, is it uh, daily? Is it, it's not daily. This is hard, Michael. <laughs> technically, <laughs> so technically it's once a week, but in the last six months, we've undertook this giant project, which is that we're creating a course for people who are curious about the sailing lifestyle and they know nothing about sailing, about where to start, how to start. And that has taken away so much of my time from our regular um, video schedule. So normally we are on a once a week schedule, but these days it's a little bit more fluky. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ryan, Ryan, how patient were you, uh, with the a camera in your face? No, not at all, all the time. Sophie's uh, laughing here right now. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's not quite funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you go back and look at those earlier videos and you read the comments sections below, I, I was called many names. Sophie was proposed to by many guys and uh, I was not the right person for her. No, I, it was really hard having that camera in my face to start because I'm a, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist with this stuff. And, you know, as you alluded to earlier, the boat is a really hard thing. It's, it's like, we describe it as a child you have to take care of and it, it just like never grows up, you know? So it, it was like this huge learning threshold that we were like, we had taken some courses. We had spent a few years with the boat in Sweden, you know, learning it and, you know, how to, how to maneuver it. But then we left and there was all kinds of stresses behind that going into new waters, going into new countries, like, how is it going to be? Um, and then Sophie was documenting every minute of it. And it was just getting this camera in my face. And that was like also stressful, you know? Um, yeah. so she was learning that I was learning this other thing. I think that we both felt very unsupported in our respective areas. She didn't feel like I was supporting the camera thing. I that felt she wasn't supporting the boat thing. And so it created a little bit of a rift when we, we started. And I think over time I've gotten a bit better with the, the camera. It's, it's funny though, when we meet people, um, they, they'll meet us expecting to meet that couple, you know, that they see on, you know, I'm the grumpy captain and Sophie's a really outgoing one, but it, sometimes people meet us. They're like, you guys are like kind of opposites. Not, not to say Sophie's grumpy. That's not what I'm saying, but Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Thank no, you're, you're a little bit more reserved when we have people come on the boat and I'm like all out there meeting people. So it's, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. It's what like, the camera will do to a person. Oh yeah. Ryan is actually a nice person. Wow. <laughs> yeah. If like for people who haven't seen the videos, I mean, this is a sailboat. How big is it and how old is it? And why did you pick this particular one as opposed to a, a different kind of boat? So what you have to know about what happened when we chose the boat is that we knew nothing. We didn't know what we were doing when we chose the boat. Okay. So uh, <laughs> there is that. 
Did you buy it in Sweden? So we bought her in the UK because at the time we were okay. very set on a specific model, which is the Beneteau Oceanis 40. And we wanted to buy a fairly recent one. So we bought her in 2016 and we were looking at boat as old as 2007. So our boat is from 2007. Uh, and its particularity is that it has two cabins instead of three. So typically people want a lot of cabins in their boats so that they can go on holidays with their friends. They can have a lot of guests over. But for us, we knew that we wanted more living space and less cabins because not a lot of people were going to come see us in our travels. And we bought the boat uh, with the idea that we wanted to buy a good home. And I think that we did that well. With that said, when we bought the boat, uh, we were like 12 meters, 40 foot. That is huge. And I was, I was, Ryan was like, we bought way too big. We bought too big. We should have bought way smaller. <laughs> and, uh, and it was true in uh, the archipelago of Stockholm in Sweden, where most people who have sailboats have very small ones because they only go out for a day or two at a time. And it doesn't make sense to have a big one that you have to maintain. It's expensive. And so we had one of the bigger boats in Sweden's, uh, in Stockholm's archipelago. And then as we started living on the boat and traveling around, we realized that, no, we actually have one of the smallest boats. And now that it's been four years <laughs> that we live on board, we're like, we really shot ourselves in the foot. We should have bought She's pretty small. Yeah. It's a tiny place. Yeah. yeah. How, how about um, if you had to put uh, like an hours or I'm not going to ask you to say specific numbers, but was the maintenance cost mm -hmm. about what you thought it would be or is it way higher than you budgeted for? So, no, I think I'm going to answer this, honey. Sorry. <laughs> what, you want to answer it, Ryan? I'll, I'll answer no. this. It's Okay. It's way higher, I think. Yeah. I have these like dissolutions. Um, we, I, I found a spreadsheet of when we first started the project because I'm such a planner of like all the things we needed to buy. And I had like a fishing pole, a life jacket, you know. <laughs> oh my God, that's and right. it's just like it's just like everything, but like the fishing pole we like bought three a sailor's years. hat, yeah, little, yeah, yeah. little little sailor's hat, hat, sunglasses. <laughs> I think I think every time I went out to the boat, I had to stop at the hardware store to buy a new tool to fix the, <laughs> the next thing that needed fixing. So it's been a um, that's been way more than we thought, but that said, um, Sophie and I have also gotten really good at doing most of the work ourselves. And because of that, that's one of the things we do on our YouTube channel is we try to like show the improvements that we're making the, um, you know, all the things that we're doing to the boat to other people so they can kind of learn as well. Cause it was a painful process, like learning how to do all this stuff by ourselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how many ocean crossings have you done? Three. Okay, so here's the thing. An ocean crossing is actually a little bit of a misleading term because an ocean, <laughs> the times that we crossed the ocean, it was actually fairly easy. And you can, so people imagine the uh, crossing of an ocean from one continent to the other, right? But we've done crossings of the Atlantic from south to north, you know, when we crossed the Bermuda Triangle. So, you know, some long yeah. offshore passages are not technically considered uh ocean crossings, but they are a lot more technical and a lot more difficult. So technically we have crossed the Atlantic three times. Well, uh, two for me because Ryan did it solo. Although I totally felt oh. like I was on board. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we have done many, many more offshore passages where we were on board for over a week and, uh, and in much rougher conditions than when we were actually crossing the Atlantic. Give me your uh, toughest 
<sighs> stretch of water. Oh, yeah. For me, I mean, I did one cruise. I've been doing cruises for like, you know, working on them for about six years. And for me, there was a couple times once we got way out, I'd done uh, San Diego to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. It was like five days at sea on a ship. And once you get farther out in open sea, it can get pretty... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it can get pretty wild. But for me, it was the Drake Passage down in Antarctica, oh, yeah. which was really, really rough. But um, and that was just five days of up yeah. and down, and that was that was hard. How about you? Was there a time that did you ever get? Oh, yeah, and it was like we're gonna get knocked did over. We get here. pounded, absolutely. Like if you sail for long enough <laughs> and you sail across oceans and you're really going the distance, there is going to be a time that you get pounded. It's just how it is. Uh, for us, it was between Morocco and the Canary Islands, the first time that we crossed the Atlantic. So when you cross from east to west, you're typically going to stop uh, from Europe down to the Canary Islands. Sometimes you're going to go down to Cape Verde, which is west of Senegal in Africa. Uh, so we first stopped in the Canary Islands. And the passage between Europe and the Canaries is notoriously can be gnarly because there is a known wind acceleration zone out of Cape Agadir. And, uh, well, listen, we had a crew swap. We were on a bit of a schedule. We knew that it was a storm coming right on our butt. So we went out. We knew that it was going to be rough. And you know what? Yeah. It was. <laughs> you got it. It was. It was, yeah. uh, it was blowing consistently between 25 and 45 knots, uh, but from uh, behind, so downwind, which is a much more comfortable point of sail. And the wind doesn't feel as strong, although it did feel very strong. And we saw waves between four and six meters, which is, it's like a four stories building that you're looking at behind you. It was very impressive, but the boat did well. We did well. Um, There was a lot of vomiting going on, uh, but we made it to port and we were fine. A lot of the, a lot of the, I think, I mean, that's, that was a pretty rough passage, but a lot of the stuff that we actually have to deal with is not the weather so much i mean we've we've been through a lot of weather we know how we know what the boat can take what we need to do to prepare we were we went through tropical storm alex in bermuda this year on anchor but that was still not something i want to do again but we made it and we we just we've got enough experience now we know how to get through those things but a, a lot of the stuff that we deal with is a lot of just like the emotion there's a lot of emotional bits of it it's long periods of isolation even uh so the first time we crossed the Atlantic, Sophie and I, uh, it was just Sophie and I, and someone's usually on watch, uh, during the day. So the, and the other one's sleeping. So for, you know, 17 days, we didn't really see each other, maybe an hour a day. And the rest of the time you're by yourself trying to figure out (laughs) how to deal with the solitude of you in the ocean. And sometimes the monotony of it can be harder than the, you know, excitement, the exciting periods that come up, which are very you know, they're very few and far between, but they do happen. So it's just like this monotony period of, you know, being with your thoughts and stuff, which is actually something <laughs> that when we left on this, I never really had considered and thought about. Yeah. What about like, um, how do you pass that time? I mean, are, are you uh, readers? Or do you bring uh, video? What is your Wi-Fi situation out there in terms of like, <laughs> not existed. only, yeah, that's what I mean. It's just for someone who's, for some, it's hard enough to keep like an online presence on a cruise ship because the yeah. Wi-Fi is so bad. I don't know how you guys do it and how are you doing with uploading all this video? And, so and I think that it's worth saying that not everybody experiences solitude the same way. For Ryan, the monotony and uh, the boredom are difficult sometimes. For me, it's really not. 
I mm-hmm. love cooking. I'll spend a lot of time on the, in the galley preparing meals from scratch. I love listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts. I love uh, watching the horizon. It sounds really boring, but it's actually really pretty and it's no. ever changing. Um, so there are a lot of things. I love writing. I will spend hours and hours writing. Uh, we don't have internet, uh, so we can't watch Netflix. You can download some Netflix um, <laughs> right. stuff. Uh, we have YouTube Premium, so I can also download YouTube videos before we leave. But typically what I'll do is that I will update our offshore blog, which is a piece of text that will come through our satellite tracker uh, once a day. So. We have enough satellite communication to have a tracker that's uh, up at all time on our website. It gives us weather information, so through the satellite communication and basic email. So we'll still have a lot of mm-hmm. contact with shore, at least via email. Sometimes when I'm on shore and Ryan is sailing, he'll call me once a day on the set phone uh, just to do a check-in. And uh, I write a lot. So um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. my writing on our blog. <laughs> What did your respective families think of this idea when you told them what you were going to do? <laughs> wow. to go, Sophie. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, at this point, we were already expats. We had already have left the homeland yeah. to go somewhere else. So for them, it was not completely unexpected. There is still a lot of worry. At, initially, there was a lot of worry because nobody knew what we were doing. Uh, <clears throat> we didn't know what we were doing. Arthur. Including us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, there was a lot of fear that what we were about to do was dangerous. But now that it's been several years, our families have a sense that we actually know what we are doing. We have, we're very conservative when it comes to safety and risk management on boards and with passages. So there is a very high level of trust and also respect for our skills. And now they're actually pretty impressed by what we do. So that's cool. (laughs) Was yours the same, Ryan? Yeah, I'd say so. My parents have just kind of succumbed to the fact that I'm going to call them once a year with a crazy idea. And uh, (laughs) they just kind of just ask a few questions and say, well, okay, you know, we support you, which is great. Um, This year, uh, as Sophie mentioned, I did a solo sail across and that was I think a bit more than they really wanted to swallow. Um, and that, that ended up being a very hard passage for, for Sophie and everybody involved for a lot of reasons, but, um, yeah, everyone's been pretty supportive of it. I think it's just people learn to understand what we're doing because it, it is a very unique lifestyle and for us, we live in it. So we're with other sailors all the time. So we think it's quite normal, but it's, it's really not, it's really not. So crossing the Atlantic, on your sailboat, it takes, I think it was, did you say like about 12 days? Uh, from from the Cape Verdes, to, well, it takes roughly about 21 days from uh, the Canary, sorry, the Canary Islands to the West Indies. Um, if you leave from Cape Verde, which is a bit further south, anywhere between like 14 and 17, 18 days. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Has most of your trips been... Uh, on the Atlantic side and the Europe and and yeah. Caribbean and the U.S., you haven't done any kind of like uh, Asia or no, Africa or anything. No, we yeah. So we we left from Stockholm, sailed all around Europe into the Mediterranean. We did the western part of the Mediterranean, pretty much as far as Italy and in Malta, and then came back out. Uh, went across the Atlantic just before COVID happened. So we got the pleasure mm-hmm. of spending our lockdown period on our boat, which sounds way nicer than it actually was, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And uh, we spent, yeah, about a season and a half in the Caribbean and then 
uh, this last year, we did a whole loop around the Atlantic. So we went from the Caribbean up over to the Azores, well, Bermuda, Azores, back around. And then I took the boat solo back across. And then, um, yeah, now we're in the U.S. So we would, Sophie's dream uh, on her sailing adventures is to go to Japan. So it's on our list. Yeah. We'd love to get into the Pacific. Um, we're just kind of waiting for the right time, I'd say. Yeah. So never even to like the Greek islands and no, we, we haven't been as far as Greece yet. So there's still a lot of the world left for us to explore on a boat. Yeah. It's a lot of ocean <laughs> there out there. Is, isn't yeah. It? It's quite amazing when you see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then I would usually like, I, I did interview someone who did go around the world and they, they went through the Suez canal and all that other stuff and went around the um, Eastern Africa and stuff yeah. like that, where there were pirates. I mean, they had to deal with like actual pirates around Somalia and all that. So you've never had to deal with anything like that, have no you? No pirates. We, Sophie said we're so risk-averse that we kind of keep our nose out of those areas. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. The thing is, we are, because we still work from the boat, we always need to go to places where we receive good internet. And typically where there is mm -hmm. good internet, there is good infrastructure. And when there is good infrastructure, there is a lot less piracy and crime. So we've yeah. never really hung out to those places where piracy can be a problem. I will say, though, that when we were sailing around Bonaire and Curaçao and this part of the world, which is located right north of Venezuela, there is there are a few archipelagos of Venezuelan islands that are right next to Bonaire. And sometimes you have to be really careful not to get into their waters because you don't really know what the Coast Guards can do. Uh, and no. I think that the situation is getting better these days, but there's been some accounts of uh, people getting in trouble with the Venezuelan Coast Guards right next to Bonaire because yeah. you're in Venezuelan waters. Venezuela is kind of like a failed state That's at right. this point. Yeah. It's really, yeah, it's rough. So how, how about that? This is a common question I always ask for travelers. How about run-ins with the uh, police and uh, navies and coast guards? Any uh, oh. any s smooth talking you've had oh, to do or yes. bribery? I, have, I won't say bribery. Good one for you, Mike. Uh, okay. Oh, good. We like so good stories. We are in the North Sea. Okay, we are sailing between uh, Holland. And France via Belgium. It was a horrible night, okay? This part of the world is not nice to <laughs> sail. And Ryan had chosen a route that was very inshore, so very close to shore, extremely shallow at night, super choppy, wind over tide. It was not a good night. And at that point, we were beginners. We, had, we didn't really know what we were doing. We were way out of our comfort zone. Not a great time. Eventually, we make it through the night alive. I go to bed, and in the morning, I wake up to Ryan calling me. He's like, Sophie, Sophie, you have to wake up. You have to wake up. And I poke my head out of the companionway, and right behind us, there is this giant gray boat, and it's the French customs. I, I think that was the customs, mm. right? The douane. Yeah, it was. Douane yeah. française. <laughs> and it's this giant boat. And they are trying to communicate with Ryan on the VHF but they don't really speak English, okay? Right. And, I'm, and Ryan, your French is not And my not French is days. not existent. And so. I am French. Oh, still? Okay. <laughs> All these years with Sophie, you never, you got, uh, you got And lazy. in that yeah, moment, I, I had a decision to make. I could either pick the VHF and take over the conversation, or I could pick my camera and have a blast for the mom. No. And you know what I did? And it was fantastic. You know, they were like, uh, okay, so what is the name of your uh, vessel? <laughs> 
And Ryan had no idea what they were saying. It was just so funny. It was great. There was a lot of what? 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 It's so and, what um, is your uh, destination? <laughs> it was great. So you let Ryan suffer through that conversation. I didn't even, I didn't just, even think what? about the fact that she was French while it was going out. It was like afterwards. Yes. I was like, why didn't you do this? I mean, dude, you've been with a French girl for uh, four or five years at this point. You don't speak French. That's yeah. not my problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, you know, she, she does have a little bit of a point. She does, but uh, I, I would actually say all of our Coast Guard encounters so far have been pretty. Yeah, um, they've been pretty good. So, pretty positive. I always wonder about this when I when I visit these different islands all over the place, and I see people in boats just pull up to any old beach and just you know go swimming, and then they just go to a port, and I don't know what the protocols are. To just you know go to this little you just pick an island in Croatia and just pull into any slip. I mean I don't know how how do you set this it up? Kind of works how, like that far, some places. How far in advance do you have to set it up? You, some places you don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you just pull in no. and just say and you pay them something. I don't know how, how <laughs> yeah. does it work. Okay, no, you can't say you can't say that. So obviously <laughs> no, but seriously, obviously when you arrive into a new country uh, on a pleasure craft, you are required to check in the country to declare yourself. And depending on the country mm -hmm. that you enter, the procedure is going to look different. And for that, we have a list of resources at our disposal. So one of the big ones is a website called Noonsites. Other times we have pilot books and other times we have uh, communities of sailors who know the area. And if you want the official stuff, you go into the pilot book. And if you want the unofficial stuff, you go ask the community how it actually works. Uh, and uh, yeah, in most places, there is a little bit of both, you know, there is a, what is said and what there's some places it's some places it's very, very strict. I mean, yeah. if you don't show up, they'll come track you down. Yeah. Other places, very, very lax, like so lax that you're wondering why these people are even employed. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, so <laughs> I will tell, I will. I'm going to go on a limb and say it's more strict in Northern Europe than it is in Southern. I will tell you a cute little true? anecdote of Ryan one day. I will not name the country, but Ryan <laughs> went to a country, did not check in before a few days. And the Coast Guard came to remind him that he did not have his courtesy flag up, but they didn't actually check if he was, you know, if he had checked it. They just wanted to make sure I had the flag up. <laughs> Yeah, right. So, Would these places come on board in like uh, immigration? We've and, had we've been boarded uh, probably. What did you say, honey? Twice, two or three times, probably this, in our four years. Yeah, there was this one time in Morocco where, when, when you clear mm. custom, the police comes on board and does an, an inspection of your boat, and you have to remove any weapons or drones that you have on board. We do not carry weapons, but we carry a bunch of drones. So, but they, it was very thorough. They really opened the cabinet, they pulled clothes out, they lifted the floorboards. I was a sore inspection. The second time we were in uh, Bermuda and we were actually boarded by the U.S. Coast Guards. And I think that it was in, um, they were training and they were adorable. They were super sweet. It was a good yeah, time. Really nice. We were excited that they were boarding us. We're like, hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> we were. But I mean, yeah. especially in like the Caribbean and, and I would say Morocco and places like that. I mean, a lot of them, uh, aren't they worried about drug smuggling? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that that goes on. Um, but I, I think there's a, there's a big difference between there's so many types of boats out there. And you know the cruiser's boats because it, they got so much crap hanging off. There's solar panels. There's like a little dinghy. There's just, and you, you pull up and you're like, that person is not 
moving drugs. There. Yeah, <laughs> I think that his internet they in Iowa is not amazing. You, you, have other you would think, <laughs> you would think that problem. U.S. would have some of the best uh, internet infrastructure in the world, but in the case of the U.S. Coast Guard, they came on board and I offered them a tool, which is a suction cup, to lift the floorboards more easily in case they wanted to check if we had drugs, you know, because we don't. And, uh, but they never bring the dogs on well, or anything like he, that? He told me that he is not actually allowed to open anything. Like he can only do a visual inspection. And I'm like, well, how are you going to find drugs if that's the only thing you're allowed to do? <laughs> yeah, you're going to leave them out in the open with big piles of I was heroin. Like, Dude, like, we don't, so we, we don't carry drugs on Policial. We're um, extremely yeah. legit. Uh, but I was like, how does that make sense? Oh. We, we yeah. actually have some friends that um, have we have two or three sets of friends that have purchased old drug boats. So yep. they're drug boats that have been seized with, you know, by governments and they got them on auction and, you know, they had to refit them because there's holes drilled into the bottom to get all the drugs out. But yeah, <laughs> we, we have two or three sets of friends that have old drug boats. It's, it's it is pretty a thing. interesting. It is a thing. Yeah. Right. But you're not fully, um, I mean, uh, like full-time influencers, right? You have other businesses that you, you work on, right? Because, I mean, that's it's got to be, like, the biggest question people ask you. How can you afford to keep yeah. doing this? Um, so what what are some of the other lines of work that you're in that, that can help sustain it? Go ahead, Ryan. So, I yeah, I have a business that I helped start years ago with a college friend, and the business has just done very well over the last few years. So I've just kind of migrated more into that business. And everyone's happy with me um, working on that while I'm off sailing the world. And some of it relates to sailing anyway. So it, it's worked really well. And that job is kind of the thing that ha like uh, supports, I would say, Sophie and I. Mm. And then obviously Sophie has, I mean, Sophie with, with the, and I'll let you talk about it a little bit more, but with like the mm. influencer business or the ah. content creation. Yeah. Sorry. The contract creation business. <laughs> um, we uh, that's kind of like an added bonus type thing with everything we do. And um, yeah, it's, it's worked fairly well for us. There's still times that I'd, I'd say that we it's not figured you know, out. struggle a little bit. Yeah, we're still trying to figure it all <laughs> out. Not, we still tr struggle sometimes. It but, is not figured out. So yeah. I only started to monetize the channel, I think, two years after uh, I got started. And what I realized very quickly is that I'm not an influencer. I do not aspire to that, right? I do not intend on being... Uh, aspirational. I want people to get the real deal, like what it really looks like. And, you know, obviously that doesn't make dr everybody dream. And I don't really care. I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity for the click. And last year I realized that, well, obviously it translates into some monetary, like lack of gains. <laughs> and uh, I realized that it was not completely healthy from a financial standpoint for me to have my job wrapped around uh, my li my lifestyle and have my income dependent on my lifestyle, uh, especially since I was not willing to uh, not lie, but chase the click. Um, so yeah. I- Then we'd have to put yourself on a bikini yeah, and uh, all over the and Instagram. And more than yeah. that, you know, sell you something that does not exist because yes, now and then, you know, we leave beautiful things. We have amazing views. We explore uh, some incredible countries and we come in contact with some, you know, um, very exotic cultures, but 90% of the time we work, uh, and a lot of times things are not pretty. And I would feel like uh, lying to you if all I showed you was a very curated version of our lifestyle. And a lot of times on YouTube, we are called negative or uh, whiny or complaining. And 
and I understand, you know, where those people come from. Don't read the comments. Uh, no, don't read the comments. I need, <laughs> Never I read need the to comments. come to that place where I don't anymore. But uh, so anyways, the bottom yeah. line is that last year I decided to take on some uh, extra job uh, outside of YouTube. And now I have an amazing relation with work. Uh, I'm an e-learning consultant, so I coach um, big companies to create their own learning content. And because I come from a background where your viewer is never granted, it's never acquired, I create corporate content that's interesting and works. And oh, it's, made, it's made me appreciate YouTube and creating films more because now I have a little more financial freedom. So, mm. how about the uh, sponsorships? Have people come forward, like boat companies yeah. and stuff, and say you know, we want you to thing. use our stuff? Same thing. I'm not gonna like bust my ass to integrate sponsorship in a piece of content if I don't believe in what you do. So, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> every morning, mm, this is delicious. Oh, Folgers yeah. coffee. Mm. We're not gonna name it. We're we... not gonna name them. But so those uh, green powder supplements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we've had a few sponsorships, but as Sophie said, we're pretty particular about um, who we work with and we, we need to believe in the brand. Um, we've done a couple that have backfired, I'd say, a little bit with us. But generally, we have a really good relationship with those that, that we do sponsorship work through or promotion work. And yeah, it's it's just created a good atmosphere. So it, it takes time to build. And I think in this world of instant gratification that social media is, you know, a lot of people jump into the social media slash sailing lifestyle. There's a lot of YouTube channels out there on sailboats and people think like overnight they're going to become instant stars and that's going to be easy and you make a lot of money. And it's, it's uh-huh. not that way. It takes a lot of work. Just, you got to just like keep chugging at it. And, um, I give Sophie a lot of credit cause she's the brains behind the operation. So, um, she's done that <laughs> the last four years and, you know, we, we get to meet amazing people because of it and we've gotten to go to some cool places and it's just been awesome. What about uh, the fun stuff now? I'm gonna we're gonna get to the, the fun stuff of all the places you guys uh, sailed around. What? Give me a few of your highlights that you've ever pulled into. Have you ever pulled into a place and said, "Okay, <laughs> if we're gonna settle down, we can live here." Uh, the, was there been a place like that? I think Bermuda was incredible. Uh, quality of life, amazing. The Caribbean dream, uh, with and everything works. Everything is great, but it is so incredibly expensive. I just can't. Going to yeah. the supermarket there gives me a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Island life. They're going to charge the Azores. That's right. The Azores have been... Oh, Azores, really? I've oh. never been. Yeah, the Azores are amazing. Yeah. The Azores is a place that is going to literally make your brain explode because there is so much to look at and so much to see and so many impressions you can't take all at once. Madeira is another one of those places. All the, okay. I, I would say like all of the Atlantic islands. So that includes Bermuda, the Azores, Madeira, um, the Canaries, and even down to the Cape Verdes. They're all just amazing. And uh, with w- without Bermuda in that mix, because a lot of them are so tied to Europe, a lot of it is subsidized, how they get the food there, how they get the infrastructure there. And so like the Azores are actually incredibly cheap as well. So it's, really? Yeah. So, I mean, Bermuda is the exception to that rule, but there, yeah. those islands are just amazing. I would say, and, and I would agree with Sophie, I'd say for myself, we pulled into Bonaire a few years ago and we were just going to spend two weeks. We ended up spending four months, not all because we wanted to, but that was an amazing island. There's only 20,000 people there, but we weren't divers before we, we got there, but we became okay. divers while we were there. And the, the life that's under the sea in Bonaire 
is like you can't you you have to go see it someday because it's that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm a diver and I've been to Bonaire, uh, so I, I dove there one day because I was again working on another ship. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved it down there. But I don't know. Every time I'm on an island, I, I just think it's like I don't know if I got the island mentality. I think I'd go crazy. Yeah, a bit yeah. A Even Hawaii, yeah. I go and like I don't know if I could live here. I'm yeah, with, I'm with you. I like it, but <laughs> I love going oh, from island yeah. to island. But I'm not sure that I could stay on an island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there like an end date? You ever thought that you know we can do this for a couple years more, no. or we're just going to keep going? No, we're you know making we've made the choice to choose our lifestyle and then make the lifestyle work. And we still love sailing. We love exploring. We love our lives. Right now, the couple of projects that we have is to have a bit of a home base which doesn't mean that we're going to stop sailing, um, but you can't sail all year long and you need a place to go back to, which is what we're missing in our lives right now. That's one. And the second thing is we want to have a dog. So we ah, are we are go. getting a puppy in October, but the puppy is going to follow us on board and become a sailor. So, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Make sure you get one of the correct size. She's supposed, she's supposed to become a small one. Uh, she, was, <laughs> okay. she was born, fun yeah. fact, she was born two weeks ago, so we're actually getting a puppy. And oh. she was born as the, oh, wow. the fattest little one of the litter, and <laughs> we're like, hmm, it's going to be fun. We'll see. <laughs> That'll be good. Well, now we'll go to the flip side. Was there ever a place you went that uh, you weren't that, imp- you were not that impressed with, and you kind of steer others away from and go, you can yeah. skip that place. Yeah. It was uh, St. Martin. Yeah, I've been there and many times. But... <laughs> What's your take? Uh, you know, I'm not a, the hugest fan of the Caribbean just for yeah. the fact that not only the tourism that has really kind of yeah. overrun a lot of the places yeah. and damaged a lot of the reefs and stuff. Because I'm a diver. I've been yeah. for 30 I'm years. I'm with you. What I've seen, what happened to the reefs is um, it's sad. It's heartbreaking, I you know. But uh, you, you peel back the curtain in a lot of the Caribbean. Yeah. And you see the, the locals are very poor. Yeah. And, and the, tur- um, the tourism, shame, you know, the tourism is overwhelming. And you realize that. And it doesn't trickle down no. to the people that all live you there. See, you know, all there's... you see is this facade and this yeah. giant dichotomy between the rich tourists and the people who live there. And you're like, you know, I'm with yeah. I think that's, that's one of the yeah. unique things about this life is, you know, we get to places and a lot of times we'll have a package coming in. For example, we had to have a bunch of stuff sent into Bonaire that we had to have put on ships in the U.S. So, you know, we got to Bonaire. We were also doing some some formalities with Sophie and I. And, like, you know, we're going – we're not going to just, like, the restaurants every night. Like, we're going to go to the local government office to get some papers filled out. Well, then we go over to the <laughs> ship, like, the port office to get some packaging and then fill out customs papers. So you get – you actually get into – the community and the life and you meet the locals very, very fast because you have to just to keep your own life going. And so you get to really see what these places are like. And I think with St. Martin, it was a bit unfortunate. I think St. Martin's, I mean, they really got hammered after Hurricane Irma and you can see the beauty of that island underneath the destruction that that hurricane caused. And no, nobody took the initiative and it's a bit of a pity both with the French and the Dutch governments to, to really rebuild St. Martin. Uh, and it's just the people there that have suffered from it. Uh, we were unfortunately there during the co- first big COVID lockdowns, and that I think also put a little disdain in our mouth on a place because you know <laughs> we were we were in a place that was struggling with dealing with a global pandemic. It just happens to be a place that has two independent governments, <laughs> and uh, yeah. that created a lot of chaos too. So uh, yeah, it, that would probably be the place we would not go back to. <laughs> but it, 
if the country's locked down and you have a boat, does that mean you have to stay? I mean, you could no. sail well, we away, could have left. Or no. could not? It was very complicated we, during that time. So first off, we were in the lagoon in St. Martin, which sounds lovely when you say the word lagoon, but it's really the place where <laughs> all the sewage of the island is poured into. But also to access or exit the lagoon, you have to go through bridges. And those bridges were broken on the French side and not being operated on the Dutch side. Plus, um, leisurely navigation was forbidden. It was prohibited. So you couldn't do that. We couldn't go anywhere. First, because we were physically stuck. Mm. And two, because it was forbidden. But also, we had nowhere to go because all of the islands around were closed. I couldn't go to the United States. Borders were closed. And we couldn't leave the boat and fly somewhere. First, because there were no airplanes. Um, but also, we had hurricane season coming upon us. And it was not mm. glamorous. So, no, we were stuck. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. rough. I have to ask a French person, though, your thoughts on St. Bart's. We haven't been. <laughs> because you're I kidding. Know, no. Well, we got stuck during COVID, so we couldn't go anywhere. So we, we, we couldn't go. Okay. Yeah, I know it's sad. We had, we had a Because plan. of we all had... the Caribbean islands I've been to, that was my favorite. It was just because, you know, because it's <laughs> maybe because it is so fancy and yeah, but it is very French, so that's why I was wondering <laughs> I've been if you'd been. Oh, yeah. okay. Thought you'd go see your people. <laughs> I want your coolest encounter with marine life somewhere out in the ocean. Have like seals ever jumped mm. on your boat or oh, you run in, You see whales? So we, and... We've we've had a few over the years uh, <laughs> when we were sailing uh, a thousand nautical miles between Antigua and Bermuda this year. We had a pet seagull for five days. She sailed over 500 nautical <laughs> miles with us. Her name was uh, Francis. We don't know if it was a he oh, or she. Lovely. But it was Francis. Uh, and then one day we realized that Francis <laughs> has, had pooped all over the solar panels. Uh, and Ryan was not happy. And that's the day that Francis left us. <laughs> but an another time we were sailing in the worst conditions ever between uh, Les Saintes, which is a small archipelago south of Guadeloupe and Guadeloupe. And it was a very a terrible, terrible sale. We actually had to turn around the first time and try it again. And it was a disaster. But in the middle of that, a whale breached next to us. And so we were oh, like, wow. oh, here's a shitty day. But here's an amazing whale. <laughs> I think my, my coolest encounter, Sophie was sleeping. We were, we were off the coast of Portugal, sailing south, middle of the night. I think it was like 3, 3 a.m. And uh, I started seeing these these shadows kind of underneath the boat in the middle of the night, these like, it was like these lines being created in the water. And it turned out, uh, you know, for those who've been in the ocean in the night, there's this phosphorescent uh, bioluminescent plankton that, that can, if it gets agitated, it, it creates a glow. Mm. And so I was like, well, that's the luminescence, but what's creating that? And I eventually realized it was dolphins uh, swimming underneath the boat, you know, in the night. But then, so I went and got Sophie. I woke her up. I was like, you got to see this. This is amazing. You know, these, it looked like snakes going under the water, you know, and <laughs> she, she was so tired. She came up and looked and went right back to bed. And then, um, and then as I watched it more, I noticed like thousands of fish jumping up on the bow. So they were hunting, you know, everyone was riding the bow wave of the boat, but those, these dolphins were hunting the fish and I could see it all through the bioluminescence in the, in the plankton, in the water. And I, I thought it would last for maybe, you know, a couple of minutes and it ended up lasting for about a half an hour. And I just sat there and watched it. And that's not something you'll ever see on a whale watching or a dolphin trip. You know, that's, that's only something you're going <laughs> to see on your own boat on the, just the right night in the right circumstances. Um, and I think that still to this day lives in my head as one of the, 
the coolest moments. And I was, I was actually just a funny story with that. I was telling a friend about this story. He's also a sailor. And I was like, yeah, you know, this, it was, it, the water was glowing, you know, this blue color and it was awesome. He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I saw that too. I, I went and got my wife, but I showed her the toilet and I was like, what? And, and then I remembered because the toilets on the boats, when we flush them, they bring in seawater. And so when he was flushing oh. it at night, it was like lighting up. It's like glowing water. <laughs> yeah, so kind of cool. He woke up his wife to show him. But anyways, that was one of my um, <laughs> coolest encounters. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. That's it. So when you, I know a lot of uh, your YouTube channels about being real about the experience of doing what you're doing. And I'm sure you get a lot of questions, uh, people asking you, we're thinking of doing this. Me and my husband are where we're going to go. Um, what? Briefly, what are the things you tell them first and foremost, other than learn how to sail before you go? Oh, damn. That is a, that is a very timely what? question because we are just about yeah. to launch a giant course on how to get started in the sailing. Okay. But, so, well, you don't give it no. all away. But, I mean, what are the... I'm happy to give a little part of it. It's going to be a 10 hours course, which covers like eight chapters, 37 lessons, more content than we produce in a year. So uh, I can't give it all at once here. But we say that there are six pillars uh, that you need to uh, to build your foundation on. The first one is to learn how to sail and develop seamanship. The second one is, um, you know, having the right boat and uh, equipping your boat. Um, one is, uh, damn, I don't have them on top of my head. And it's a shame because I actually wrote this. But <laughs> you need to... Um, uh, is it money related? Yes. Well, it's lifestyle, but you also have to choose your crew. You have to have a crew that is uh, competent and willing and that comes in with the right attitude. Then you have to budget. Um, and it's a very difficult thing to do in the context of this lifestyle because the way that you earn money is going to change month over month. The way that you spend money changes a lot depending on where you sail and what kind of adventure you're trying to have, the size of your boat. Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, it's like living a regular life, you know, you have income and then expenses and the life costs you what you have. Um, so we're trying to give a very, the most realistic picture of what it takes to budget for a selling adventure in there. Uh, and then there is enjoying the lifestyle because, and it sounds so counterproductive when you say this. But getting to the point that you can actually depart on your boat, is take, it takes a lot of work, a lot of money, a lot of mental energy, a lot of resources. And then one day you leave, the transition is hard and difficult, you know, let's be real. And uh, you can easily forget to enjoy it, you know, take a break, meet mm. people. Meeting people is usually fairly easy, but, uh, you know, um, spending a bit of extra money to rent a car so that you can go explore spending extra money to learn an activity like diving or windsurfing or kitesurfing. And uh, Ryan and I were a bit guilty of that, where we were so caught up in making the lifestyle work for us, both mechanically and financially, that sometimes we forgot to just enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Right. You can be a tourist every once in a while. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> You can remember, have a vacation. So. <laughs> yeah. there is, if there is one fundamental thing that you need to do, it is to know how to sail, develop seamanship, and take care of a boat. Yeah. What's the biggest mistake when people choose a boat? Is it the size of it or they pick the Ooh. wrong boat for the kind of sailing that they want to do? Or they, they try to do it so, cheaply 
No. And they they buy the they go no, to cheap. No. So what happens is that you choose a boat based on her sailing abilities. You know, you're like, oh, I want to sail around the world, so I need the beefiest boat ever, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, rather than choosing a boat on which it's going to be sustainable for you to live on. Oftentimes, those mm -hmm. really sturdy, chunky boats, as our instructor used to call them. Um, they are also maybe a little bit older and they require more maintenance, more things break. And so the life becomes a little heavier because of that. And they were not designed for full-time live aboard sailing and they're not as comfortable. And so the thing that we did right mm. without really knowing it is that right off the bat, we bought a boat that was comfortable to live on. And so it's comfort is sustainability. And just to circle around the, uh the depression thing, what are the tools that some of you have learned, or the, either of you have learned on handling it these days? And are you that much better four years later than you were at the beginning? So the sailing life is very triggering. Uh, so I don't think that you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but I don't think that you came into it knowing the kind of, you know, issues that you no. had. I don't think you were, you realized that you had trouble dealing with anxiety. I was very aware of uh, my tendency um, to be depressed. Luckily, I had gone to therapy for a very long time before, and I can recognize um, episodes, right? Uh, so I have tools for that. I go to therapy. I'm not on medication, although it's something that we've considered uh, at some point. One thing that really helps us is to take breaks. You know, sometimes uh, sailing just doesn't feel like it anymore. And so I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to take a few weeks of break. Uh, we spend time apart, you know, because we're on top of each other all the time. So now and then we need uh, to spend <laughs> some uh, some healthy time apart. And uh, we have a couple counselor, you know. And I really want to say that we don't have it figured out. You know, we're doing the best yeah. that we can with what we have. I think that what sailing has brought to our life is a sense of awareness that those are things that we deal with. So it's, it's unique in this, in the world of sailing and any type of like masculine industry. So I come from aviation, which is very much the same. It's male dominated. There's a lot of guys in that industry. And what I learned in the sailing world is that because of that male domination, you know, the, the, the guys typically the captain, regardless of who's on the boat, you know, and there's a lot of stress that comes with that. And there's also a lot of expectation that you as the big strong male are not allowed to show emotion or show any sign of weakness or failure. And it's just impossible in this life because it's, it just go, you know, when I used to fly planes, I could be stressed out, but the flight was two hours long and I could go home and just like relax afterwards. We live in this all the yeah. time. So you might've had a bad day. <laughs> all you want to do is go to bed, take a nap. And you go on anchor and then a storm blows up and you don't get to sleep that night because you're up dealing with something going on. So you don't always get to decide, you know, when your rest is coming and it's not always like that, but it can happen. And there's, there hasn't been a platform in this sailing or even the travel world where guys have been able just to come out and say, like, I'm really struggling with this. I'm scared. Like, I hate, I hate docking the boat. It stresses me out, you know? And so this is something that like I started discovering as we started going along and something that came out in a lot of the videos that Sophie started making. And it was just interesting in that process, how many guys would email us or put in the comment section that like, Hey, I, we started this project too, and I feel the exact same and I don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> and then we'd also, also get the comments from the guys that say you have no business being out there. But most of those people I've realized are, you know, the couch, 
the couch quarterbacks that have never been out there in the of first place. Or they're the one who could use a bit of yeah. therapy too. <laughs> yeah, oh, so oh yeah. Oh, it's, definitely. It's been a, it's, that's been a big journey in itself is like, okay, I'm stressed about this. What, like, what are these feelings that I'm feeling like? And I don't feel like I have an outlet for it, but it turns out that a lot of people have felt the same way. So a lot of my good friends in the sailing world, uh, which I run into all the time, it's such a big ocean, but we run into these people, you know, all the time in all different parts of the world. <laughs> it's great now. Cause we've just kind of created a community in the sense of, um, freedom to talk about like how we're feeling. And, uh, it's, it's really nice. When I did my solo sale, I was in the, the, I, I, it was a bit of a traumatic first part of that sale, but the second part, I ran into some really good friends of mine in, in the Cape Verdes. And one of them is a, she's a female sailor, pretty well-known offshore racer and got to talking with her. And she's like, you know, Ryan, I get scared all the time. And so we were emailing back and forth on, on the way across. And, you know, we got halfway, she'd email me. She's like, Ryan, we're halfway. This is great. <laughs> And then it was a count. It was <laughs> countdown till the days that we were within helicopter range, um, because that just like makes you feel safer, you know. And for me, it was like a comforting thing actually, because this was a very well respected sailor who has tons of experience offshore. And knowing that she like had those f- same feelings I was feeling, it was just something that needs to be talked about. And I think that in this day of social media and having everything being so scripted and so perfect, that we forget that it's not. And you know, we all have real feelings about. Thanks. So, I mean, it's an adventure, you know, outward and inward. Yeah. You know, you're, it's a, yeah. you're, you're learning so much. It's incredible. So this is the part where you get to do business <laughs> and plug all your sites. So where can people find you on, uh, well, your YouTube channel, we'll have a link to it on our site, but, uh, well, kind of, give us all your, all your places, of, we've all kind of your sites. everything already, but, uh, to repeat, <laughs> uh, if you Google Ryan and Sophie sailing, you'll find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. We have a really cool website that we're uh, in the process of redoing too. And now we're going to make the website to be more of a resource for people interested in this lifestyle. And then in, uh, around the end of September, we're going to launch this big course together with a company called Bright Trip, which is really like the skill share of travel and adventure with incredible production value. And uh, it really teaches everything that you need to know about how to get going in this lifestyle. And we're super excited to put it into the world. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And uh, so the next, when do you you guys meet up again and you're back on the boat? So my interview at the US Embassy in Sweden is on the 28th of September. And hopefully I should be getting my passport two weeks after that, which puts (laughs) me in US um, mid-October. Right in time to pick up our dog. Oh, and then we. Where's the dog now? She's in North Carolina, North Carolina. living her best life, being okay. a fat little sausage. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And you're gonna meet her down in North yeah. Carolina, Brian? Yeah. Oh no, I'll actually oh, meet okay. her in Sweden. So I'll okay. be meeting up with her in a few with Sophie in a few weeks, and then we'll uh, hang out in Sweden for a few weeks, head back to the states, and then we're actually gonna take a boat break this winter. We we it's been years since we've been off the boat during the winter time. So we're going to put the boat to bed, let her have a little bit of a rest. And um, then in the spring, we're going to pick it up and head north up to Canada and cruise around in the Great Lakes and Nova Scotia and stuff. So we're really looking forward to that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah that's fun. I did that. Uh, I did a six-week uh, gig. Well, it was a seven-day cruises from Boston to Montreal oh, and back. Great. So there's a lot to see, all those maritime yeah. islands and stuff. It's great. Yeah. And Quebec City is wonderful. <laughs> Amazing. It's really cool. Cool. And you have a French speaker right. with you. I can get by. But by then you'll know French, right? <laughs> right? Like you'll, you'll have it down. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, two things before I let you go. One, I'm going to be in Portugal in October, 
and I have a week after that, and I'm looking at a place to go. So I'm looking at Morocco, but I was also looking at the Canary Islands. Go to Madeira. Um, go to Madeira. Go to Madeira. <laughs> you should have go to Madeira. Go to Madeira. Madeira is amazing. But you just talked up. You just talked up the Canaries no, and everything. Oh, the Azores. The Azores. The Azores. So you have a choice. If you're in Portugal, you're going to be right next to Lisbon Airport. You either take an airplane to Madeira or uh, Ponta Delgada, which is in the Azores. Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay. the best, best bet yeah. in the Atlantic. Do it. <laughs> All right. But it's, but in so second week of October, it would still yeah, be yeah. It's great. The it's like, you can be there all winter. We'll, we'll give you the tips. We'll yeah, send okay. you the places to go to. Oh, great. And I, but I still haven't been to Morocco. And so that's on my list of places I need to go. But okay. Should I wait? I don't know. You'll love, you'll love the Azores, I promise. Or Madeira. Or Madeira. All right, good. <laughs> well, finally, what do you think all this travel and seeing these different places and, and your experiences, what has it taught you about yourselves and uh, people and the world in general? What have, what have you learned? I think that what I learned about myself is uh, that being myself unapologetically pays off in uh, much better ways than when I was trying to be somebody I was not uh, when I was working in corporate. Um, the life opportunities, the growth, the professional opportunities, when you're yourself, it multiplies. Um, what I've learned about the world is that we all come from very different places, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultures, but we all want the same thing. We want to be safe. We want to hang out with our families. We want the people around us to be happy and we want to be happy ourselves and we want safety. And uh, I have learned a great dose about the privilege that we come from. I would, I would back that up hundred percent. I think I already just explained what I learned about myself in terms of anxiety mm-hmm. and you know how, how we feel, but mm-hmm. um, I would echo what Sophie said. This year for us has been um, very special in that sense. So we, we really get to see a lot of uh, different cultures and things and to see, I mean, we just, we've seen it all, you know, people struggling just to have a good life. And um, that's, that's what all people want. And so the best we can do is support those people trying to have the same things that we're trying to have. And I think that's the biggest thing that this life has taught both of us. So no, that's great. Well, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, I'll follow you on uh, YouTube. Great, and I can't. I look forward to the course. I'm not. I'm not a big sailor, so I don't know if I'll. Uh, you don't have to be <laughs> fully jump on board on that lifestyle, but uh, I'll, I'll follow vicarious. I'll live vicariously. There you go. You. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you, Ryan and Sophie. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>